Good morning and welcome to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR.com. I'm Claire Sheridan from the Historical Society of Rockland County. And today we'll learn about the new exhibitions on view at the Historical Society, Voting Rights for Women and Rockland Recollections, the Art of Robert Burghardt. The Historical Society of Rockland County is a nonprofit educational institution and principal repository for documents and artifacts relating to Rockland County. Our headquarters are a four-acre site featuring a history museum and the 1832 Jacob Lawveld House located at 20 Zucker Road in New City. We're listed on the National Register of Historic Places, and we are a designated New York State Path Through History site. Part of our broad and challenging mission is to share the history of Rockland County with the public, and we rely on financial support from membership and donations from people just like you. Membership in the Historical Society is growing, and we'd love to count you as a member. Visit our website at rocklandhistory.org and click the membership button to join us. Today, we won't be taking any calls because this episode of Crossroads of Rockland History has been pre-recorded. I'm pleased to welcome back to the program Education Coordinator from the Historical Society of Rockland County, Richard Donegan. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. You've been involved in both new exhibitions, so why don't we begin with the Voting Rights for Women? It's part of an existing exhibition, right? That's right. It's part of Rockland Voices, which has been on display since about 2010. Uh, That's a semi-permanent exhibition, and it was originally funded by Provident Bank, uh, the Charitable Foundation of Provident Bank. Rockland Voices, uh, to my knowledge, is the only exhibition in all of Rockland County where you can see uh, items about Lenape Native American history, the Dutch colonial history, and the Revolutionary War all in one place. And that's all here at the Historical Society of Rockland County. We also have some items on display about the history of slavery in Rockland County, uh, as well as uh, early transportation. So the exhibition that includes the voting rights for women coincides with a larger statewide effort. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, our exhibition on voting rights for women uh, does tell a a local story within a statewide and even national context. Uh, But statewide, uh, Governor Cuomo established in 2016 a Women's Suffrage Commission, and this commission was established uh, to coordinate a series of events throughout the year 2017 to celebrate the 100th anniversary of women's right to vote in the state of New York. There's a number of events going on throughout the state, throughout the Hudson Valley, a lot in the Finger Lakes region, especially because that's where the uh, Women's uh, Rights Convention was first held uh, back in the 1840s. So voting rights for women in Rockland County, just like in the rest of the state, was a long time coming. So tell us how it began. Voting rights for women um, wasn't didn't just you know, happen upon the scene in the 1840s. Americans had talked about voting rights for women for many years, uh, ever since the Revolution. And New York was one of the states that, um, since its outset, when the the state constitution was first written, did not have any sort of voting rights for women written into it. I believe only New Jersey, early on, was one of the the states that had allowed women to vote. Well, uh, as um, the 19th century wore on, there are a lot of uh, movements going on throughout the United States. Uh, like abolition, uh, temperance, um, and women's suffrage. And so you had all these movements going on together. Um, There were members, there were people who were abolitionists who were also in favor of women's right to vote. 
And so you saw this whole movement come about in the middle of the 19th century. Um, and as time went on, they kind of broke off into different factions as different events throughout uh, history occurred. So tell us a little bit about the, the events that happened in 1871 and 1872 with regard to women's voting rights. Uh, in, in Rockland County, there was the, uh, the Rockland Female Institute, which was a place of higher learning for, for women. And it was in Nyack. And in 1871, the headmaster of the school, L. Dallas Mansfield, uh, led a group of women to the polls in November uh, as a sort of demonstration, and they wanted to fight for their right to vote. I don't believe they had any real expectation of voting, but like I said, it was more of a demonstration. And that was followed in 1872 uh, when Mrs. George Mann uh, led a larger contingent of young women from the Rockland Female Institute down to the polls again to demonstrate for their right to vote. The same day that uh, Mrs. George Mann led the female students from Rockland Female Institute, uh, the same day up in upstate New York in Rochester, Susan B. Anthony was arrested for doing the same thing. She also was trying to vote in the, in the presidential and local elections that day. And what's significant about this event uh, within the, the local story of women's suffragist, uh, the women's suffragist movement, as it applies to the national story, is that at, towards the end of the 1860s, um, African-Americans, African-American men did gain the right to vote by an amendment to the Constitution. And just as it happened before, there were groups that were advocating for African Americans to get the right to vote. Uh, there were also groups in the 1860s who were saying, hey, why not women too? Again, the voting rights groups splintered. Uh, there were some who wanted to just focus on the rights of African American men to vote, and there were some who wanted to focus on both African Americans and women to get the right to vote. And there are those who wanted to focus on just women getting the right to vote. And so there wasn't always a unified movement amongst people who were fighting for what we call civil rights. And Rockland was a place where famous suffragettes visited, right? That's right. Susan B. Anthony visited Rockland, uh, specifically Haverstraw, back in the 1890s, towards the end of her life. And she spoke to a large audience there. Uh, about women's rights to vote. And you mentioned it earlier, but the temperance movement was a large part of the women's effort to secure voting rights. Tell us a little bit about how those two things went together. The temperance movement began in, in the 1800s, as I said, along the uh, side of uh, the abolitionist movement and, and the women's suffrage movement. And uh, by the time you get to the latter half of the 1800s, those who were in favor of women's suffrage, uh, the women specifically, um, were also largely in favor of temperance. Temperance was a social issue that was afflicting families. People consumed a lot more alcohol back in the 19th century in the United States than they do now. Uh, and what this was doing was that it was taking money away from families uh, and putting it into saloons. And so you had some people in favor of temperance uh, for maybe religious reasons or moral reasons or just very pragmatic reasons in that it was uh, tearing apart families and uh, causing people to, uh, to fall into ruin. 
1917, a whole new generation of women had taken the baton from the earlier suffragettes. So what did they do? The new generation of, of suffragettes in the early 20th century uh, were, were just as politically active as some of the original uh, suffragettes. Um, but their actions within the political theater was more accepted than it would have been back in the, uh, the 1800s for uh, people like Susan B. Anthony and um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And what this new generation of uh, young women were doing um, were handing out leaflets, um, they were holding meetings before community groups to really make an argument uh, for the right of women to vote. One of my favorite things we have on display in our exhibition is a, a letter written by one of the local suffragettes named Caroline Lexell Babcock. And she was the daughter of an attorney who, uh, in New York City, clamped down on corruption in Tammany Hall. Well, anyways, Caroline Lexell Babcock grew up in a household that was very politically active, and she became one of the leading suffragettes in Rockland County. And what we have in our collection is a letter uh, she wrote to a local GAR post, which is the Grand Army of the Republic. Uh, these are Civil War veterans, and she's writing this letter to them uh, sometime in the early 1900s, if not the 19-teens, asking for an opportunity to speak before them and explain what she felt were the good reasons for allowing women to vote and to try to convince them to go out and uh, support that measure. So in conjunction with this exhibition related to the women's right to vote, the society is planning an overnight trip to Seneca Falls as another way to celebrate the suffrage centennial. Can you tell us a little bit about the trip? The Historical Society will be uh, going to the Women's Rights National Park, which is up in Seneca Falls. Uh, the Women's Rights National Park is made up of, of a few different buildings. It's a district within Seneca Falls. Uh, one of those buildings is the Wesleyan Chapel, which is uh, the site of the very first Women's Rights Convention, which was held in uh, 1848. This is when um, women's uh, suffragette movement within the United States really uh, stood out on its own for the first time. I had mentioned earlier, uh, some of the suffragettes were also abolitionists and, and such, and this is one of those splinter groups I was talking about. Well, uh, there were about 100 people there, men and women, who uh, signed a, a declaration uh, supporting the women's rights to vote, and the movement only grew from there at the Wesleyan Chapel. Women, 75 years later or so, nationwide, were given the right to vote. Also at the Women's Rights National Park is the home of Elizabeth Cady Stanton. She was one of the early suffragettes. And the tour will also include um, a visit to the National Women's Hall of Fame. So when will that trip be taking place? The bus trip up to Seneca Falls will take place uh, starting uh, Friday, July 7th and going to Saturday, July 8th. You're listening to WRCR and WRCR.com and Crossroads of Rockland History. I'm Claire Sheridan, and I'm speaking with Historical Society Education Coordinator Richard Donegan, and we're talking about two new exhibitions on view now at the Historical Society, The Women's Right to Vote and Rockland Recollections, The Art of Robert Burghardt. So the second exhibition focuses on the art of Robert Burghardt. Most people know of him as Bob Burghardt. 
Tell us a little bit about who he was. Bob Burkhart was born in New York City in 1926. So when he was uh, just on the verge of adulthood, World War II was taking place. And during the war, he served in the Merchant Marine Pacific Theater. Uh, after that, he was in the Navy, and he eventually moved to Rockland County in the 1950s and became a teacher at Haverstraw High School. And he was one of the founding uh, faculty members f- uh, for RCC, Rockland Community College, in 1959. Throughout his lifetime in Rockland County, uh, he took a great interest in the local history and became a teacher not just of math, uh, but also of local history at Rockland Community College and also led many, many uh, walking and hiking tours of places of uh, historical significance throughout Rockland. So when he was doing his artwork, he really was capturing an interesting time in Rockland. In fact, he called it Vanishing Rockland. Tell us a little bit about the time period that he was working in. Bob Burkhart started to make his art in the 1960s. And this was a time uh, in which urban renewal was uh, going across the country, and uh, specifically in more populated areas, there are a lot of older buildings being knocked down uh, to make way for uh, newer construction, whether it's housing or office buildings. So that was taking place in Rockland. But more so throughout the more rural parts of Rockland, uh, there was suburbanization taking place. Remember the Tappan Zee Bridge, the original Tappan Zee Bridge had been built in the mid-1950s, and that was bringing a lot of people uh, to Rockland and, and turning into more of a bedroom community for New York City. So Bob Burghardt's art in the 60s and 70s was really uh, capturing buildings that were in existence at the time, but no longer stand. So tell us how this exhibition came about. We have a lot of Bob Burghardt's artwork in our collection. It was all donated to us from his family. Bob Burghardt was a very prolific artist uh, during his life in, in Rockland County. He created a lot of oils, watercolors, sketches, all of which we have in our collection. So we wanted to have something on display in our gallery uh, that would show uh, show what we have in our collection as far as uh, you know, Bob Burkhardt's art, but also to show uh, part of Rockland history's past. And it was sort of a different way of going about and exploring Rockland's history rather than sort of uh, f- focusing on, on a theme like we did last summer with the uh, presidential and and political elections in Rockland. Uh, This is more of a general look at Rockland County and uh, emphasizing some of the the buildings that no longer stand. So how would you describe his artistic style? I don't know that Bob Burkhart was really going for for any real stylistic interpretation. The buildings that Bob Burkhart painted are typically school buildings, churches, libraries, train stations. Uh, there's very, very little in the way of anything you know, like landscapes. They're all buildings, and there are some people in all of his paintings. So I think he was trying to make more of a document of what he was seeing, what he was looking at. He wasn't an artist in the sense of uh, other uh, former Rocklanders like uh, Edward Hopper, who was, uh, you know, Art critics uh, will argue that he was trying to convey some sort of sense of feeling in his artwork. For Bob Burghardt, maybe you could call him a realist or a naturalist. Um, He just very simply was trying to to document what it was uh, that that he was seeing throughout Rockland. And there's a a few pieces of his art 
we know he was trying to document some buildings like Samsondale, which stood in Haverstraw. It was an old mansion built in the 1830s, uh, which he painted. And we know that he was trying to uh, capture these on his on his canvas before they were knocked down. Uh, a lot of his, uh, note, uh, his, his notebooks that we have uh, show uh, clippings he, uh, he, he took from newspapers back in the 1970s and the 1960s when uh, a lot of the subjects he was capturing with his art were uh, knocked down. So we know that viewers love his artwork. What is it, do you think, about his work that is so engaging and draws people in? I think for a lot of people, what engages them is that, uh, especially for some older Rockland County residents, is that these buildings uh, are, are familiar to them. Um, even if they, you know, they don't stand anymore, they bring back some memories. I mentioned some of the structures that, that he painted, um, and I said there's very few, uh, there's very little in the way of landscapes, but he, he does, uh, he did also paint uh, people at play, uh, people swimming in the, in the, the, the 40-foot uh, hole down in, uh, in Orangetown, people ice skating on Rockland Lake he also painted. Uh, so there's, um, there's really a, a sense of the past that people see a sense of their own past uh, when they look at his paintings. Um, but also the, the pictures are really um, pleasant to look at. His artwork, um, you couldn't call it folk art, uh, but it's also not as refined as uh, some of the greater artists. Nevertheless, um, I think it gives people a real sense of pride uh, that one of their own, one of their own Rockland County uh, residents was able to so effectively capture so many buildings and uh, structures and, and do a very, very good job at it. It's interesting to see, knowing, sort of looking at the paintings chronologically, to see how even he progressed as an artist. You can really tell uh, that he, he really got the hang of it after a while. Tell us a little bit about a couple of pieces in the collection that you like the best. Some of my favorite uh, pieces in, in, in the collection I hate to say this, but you can't really see them on display. It's funny because there are two of his paintings he made of the Garner West Mansion and Samsondale. Again, these are mansions that no longer stand. They were in Haverstraw. But it's interesting because on the reverse side of the canvas, he did uh, sketches of the sites where these houses once stood. And they're pretty detailed. And um, again, this just kind of speaks to more the the historical document that I think he was trying to make in these. He shows where the mansion stood uh, on, on, uh, on site, and he also shows what took their place. In the uh, case of the Samsondale Mansion, he, uh, he sketches out the shopping center that now exists where uh, the Samsondale grounds were and uh, the Calico Cemetery. Uh, so things like that uh, to, to see in the art are, are really interesting to me. Uh, aside from those things, what people can see on display um, are his sketches. And that really speaks to his background as a, as a math teacher and as an engineer. When he was with the Merchant Marine, he was actually a marine engineer uh, for a period of time back in the 40s and 50s. And uh, he has some sketches we've included. He did in pen and, and pencil of um, mechanical drawings, not in too great a detail, but showing how the steamboats functioned, how they went up and down the river. He has some wonderful sketches of uh, steam-powered trains. 
And I also really like the sketches he did um, with Penn of maps, maps of uh, local, sites of local interest. Um, in his notebooks, he had a lot of he had a lot of the notes that he uh, took for his courses he taught in local history. And so you really kind of get um, a really good feel for inside of his mind what he thought was important in Rockland County history. And then that is reflected in, in the uh, in the sketches of maps that he did showing the uh, area railroad cutting across the county and uh, different roads in, in different sites of historic interest. So tell our listeners when people can see these two new exhibitions. Uh, people are welcome to come visit the Historical Society of Rockland County. The exhibitions are available for the public to see at the History Center Museum, which is not the historic house. It'll be the newer brick building at 20 Zucker Road. We're open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday uh, from 10 to 5, and on Sundays from 12 to 4. Uh, but call ahead throughout the summer because there'll be a few holidays uh, in which we won't be open on Sundays. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Richard Donegan, Education Coordinator of the Historical Society, for speaking with me today. The exhibitions, once again, are Voting Rights for Women, 2017 addition to the Semi-Permanent Rockland Voices exhibition. That celebrates the New York State suffrage centennial. And the other exhibition on view is Rockland Recollections, the Art of Robert Burghardt. Again, both exhibitions are on view now and will continue through November 5th. And those exhibition hours, Wednesdays through Fridays, 10 to 5, and Sundays, noon to 4. And just to recap, the overnight trip to Seneca Falls is on July 7th and 8th, and there are a few spots left on that trip if you're interested. I'm pleased to announce that Crosswoods of Rockland History is going on the road. Our first presentation will take place at the Tapan Free Library tomorrow, June 20th at 1.30 p.m. The library is located at 93 Main Street in Tapan. It's an hour-long program of sound bites from this show, from the Revolutionary War to the Underground Railroad, haunted history, and on into the 20th century with Typhoid Mary up to the Brinks robbery and so much more. All are welcome. You just need to register through the library. You can do so by visiting their webpage at www.taplib.org or call them at 845-359-3877. That's www.taplib.org or call 845-359-3877. Again, I'll be at the Tapan Library tomorrow, Tuesday, June 20th at 1.30 p.m. with a program called Listening to Local History. I hope to see you there. Please remember that everything we talked about, as well as a recording of this broadcast, will be available on our website, rocklandhistory.org. And we hope you will tune in to the next episode of Crossroads of Rockland History on Monday, July 17th, right after the morning show, when my guest will be John Patrick Schutz, historian from NIAC. We have wonderful upcoming events and exhibitions, as well as programs at the Historical Society. So I hope you will go to our website, rocklandhistory.org, to learn about what we have coming up. Follow us on Facebook, where we have a growing group of friends and fans. And you can follow us on Twitter as well. And be sure to check out our blog on Tumblr. It's called Rockland History Blog. And please do visit us in New City. Thanks for listening to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR and WRCR.com.